Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of the Posecast with Rabbi Shmuel Posner and myself, Seth Hellman. Rabbi, how are you doing today? Baruch Hashem, very good. Um, <clears throat> so I just got back from New York like about a half an hour ago. This is a, on the, on, you know, on the, on the fling. What happened was our daughter came home Monday night. She had, she had an appointment here on Tuesday. And she says, she came by train. She said, maybe, you're, are you driving to New York on Tuesday by any chance? And I really had no plans to do it. But in the back of my mind, I, I was ready for, I needed to go to New York. Hey, Tavis was, was on Sunday. It wasn't at the oil. I just, I, I just had this feeling I needed to go to New York. So I, I, so we did drive to New York yesterday, got there last night. And today was a busy day, starting with the uh, 715 Minion. <clears throat> and then I went upstairs and helped my father to put on fill-in and Talis Talis and fill-in. Then I, one of the things I had a little little list of things I wanted to do, get some groceries and stuff, but I wanted to also participate in the Hey Tavis major Sepharim sale at Kahas. Mm. But they open at 10 o'clock. I already went to the grocery store. It's only 9.30. So I, <laughs> I went to 7.70, answered some Kaddish and Kedusha, some, you know, some random minion, learned my Chumash for the day, got in the, some Rambam for the day, and I'm standing outside 770, and this guy comes. This guy comes over to me. I know who he is. When I was in London, I used to learn with his father. When I was a, when when I was in Ashlichas as a bacher, see yeshiva in London, I used to learn with his father. So I know. I think he may have learned in in, in the Lubavitch yeshiva here in, in Boston, maybe as a bacher. I don't remember. And he sees me, and he says, makes the bracha Baruch Atah Hashem Lekeinu Melachalom Shachiyonu Vikmanu Vunu Lanazeh, like, well. So that was like, whoa, this guy really is happy to see me. So I'm going to read to you the Halacha and Shulchan Aruch. It goes like this. <clears throat> Where was it? Um, here we go. Oh, man. I saw it. Hold on, hold on. It talks about if you haven't seen somebody in 30 days. Yeah. If someone sees his friend who's dear to him, Harbe, very much, and he rejoices and has pleasure in seeing him. That's a really good friend, right? If he hasn't seen him in 30 days, right? after 30 days. Even if he had regards from either written or oral regards, nonetheless, because the main joy of the brach is seeing him face to face. So God forbid I don't see you until June. I have to make... Uh... Wait, wait, wait. The Gamhan Nashim and also women also make this brach when they see their friends. When they're happy to see them. And a man can make the bracha for a woman as well. His mother his daughter or his sister. That's the halacha. Fascinating, right? Now I'm going to tell you a little Rebbe story. 
I've told this before, but so when I went into Yechidis, so people would go into the Rebbe for a private audience, and there was different occasions, like life cycle occasions, you do that. Some people, people go in for their birthday, even married couples, sometimes when the husband's birthday, he'd go in for Yechidis, that, you know, everybody wanted to go into Yechidis, you had to have a good reason, because the Rebbe's was, schedule was jam-packed. So Bar Mitzvah is one of those occasions you're allowed to go into Yechidis. I'm not going to tell you the whole Bar Mitzvah Yechidis, that will say, because my birthday actually is this month, 28th day of Tavis. Maybe during that postcast, we'll, we'll get into that. Anyway, but this part is, is relevant, relevant to what I'm telling you. So my mother, Allah her parents, bless memory, came along to go into Yechidis, to go come in with us to the Rebbe's room. Now, my mother's parents were German Jews. They were born in Germany. My mother was born in Germany. <clears throat> So they weren't they weren't chassidim. They knew about the Rebbe because they you know they knew us and my father. So obviously they, they knew who we were, <clears throat> who the Rebbe was. But the only time he came was like when I got an aliyah from a bar mitzvah. My grandfather came to seven seventy. He didn't push or anything. He sat in the back. But he when he came to Yechidis, the Rebbe stood up and gave him his hand. He stood up from his desk and gave him his hand. Shalom aleichem. And the Rebbe said. This is the first time we've met. Now, whether you, if some, if the Rebbe says something to you, whether you think it's correct or not, you don't say anything. Do you? Right? You don't. You don't say, argue with the Rebbe or correct the Rebbe. But my grandfather <laughs> said, we met by the wedding. Meaning to say, at my parents' wedding, the Rebbe was. It was my my parents' wedding was the first it's wedding after condition. the Rebbe, Rebbe in 1951. And that is Rishchidosh Adarishim, coming up soon. And so that my grandfather, we met at, at the wedding. He said, at the wedding. And the Rebbe knew exactly what he meant. So the Rebbe, without hesitation, said, yes, but the halach is, if you don't see somebody for a year, you say Shechiyon. Now, at this point in my life, I don't know why, I knew the halacha. And I was thinking, Chaya Mason. Right? We just read 30 days, say Sheikh Yano. Of course, I didn't say anything. I just thought about it. And I, I've always thought that it would be like rude to say to somebody, I haven't seen you for a year, make a bracha machaya mason. Because that's like, you know, <laughs> you tell me you were like dead. And it, it doesn't contradict because it's after, it's after 30 days, whatever. Anyway, that's, that's, that was the Rebbe story. So when this guy said the bracha, I was like, whoa. I immediately gave him a big hug because obviously he was so happy to see me. I didn't make the bracha because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't <this> happy. <laughs> I wasn't upset, but it wasn't like, oh man, this is so exciting. <laughs> but the funny oh, thing man. is that I used to learn with his father and in London, his father was married and whatever, he, you know, it's a the Kamler. So he, when, we, when I left, he, he gave me a nice tanya in a slipcase, a nice red tanya. And he wrote an inscription on it. And so Yutas Kisa, when we started learning tanya from the beginning again, for some reason I decided that I'm going to learn every day. I'm going to, I want to learn it before I go to shul at my dining room table. I put his tanya on the table. And, I, and so I've been using the tanya now since Yutas Kislev, which is, what is it? Where is it we now? It's almost like, whatever, almost a month, whatever. 
And I was thinking, I was thinking about this kid, this guy. He's not a kid anymore. I said, if I, next time I see him, I want to tell him that I'm using his father's Tanya. So I saw him today. He's like, ah, oh, you know, you're Tanya. The other one, uh, the other thing I had to do. I also I, I went to the aisle and I, I met one of the one, some alumni who always says, "Why don't you tell me when you're coming to New York? I will come to the aisle with you." So I called him and he actually met me there, which is like unbelievable. And he was there on time. In fact, he was a minute early, out two minutes later. We were supposed to meet at two twelve fifteen. He was here at twelve fourteen. I came at twelve sixteen because I got lost. Anyway, the other thing was. And this is this connect to label and in, in, because label lives in in Pittsburgh, and a prominent member of the community passed away this week, and they're sitting shiva today in in um, Crown Heights. Yosef Yitzchak Itkin. So I went there to be Menachem and I walked in there, and of course, and there's two guys talking, and it was a small room and. I was talking to a couple of guys in, sort of in the back. Not, you know, other people were talking with the mourners. I was going to wait to move up and talk to them, which I did later on. And um, one of them was my nephew from Toronto, whose wife is, it was her father. And another guy who's a friend of my son, Mayor. And what, what do they say to me? They say, it's Wednesday. When are you going to do the postcast? Oh, oh. And then they start talking about listeners. They, yeah, so they start talking, and they say, "You know how many people listen?" I said, "Now I know two guys listen, two <laughs> more than I knew before." <laughs> and then they start talking about their favorite episode. Guess which one it was? The cottage cheese. <laughs> ah, the cottage cheese is such a great story. And so they said, "Why don't you tell more personal stories?" That's why I was happy to tell you that story about with, with my grandfather. Just it fit, everything fits in. I didn't tell them. I was talking then to Rabbi Itkin, his son was there, talking about Pittsburgh, about this, about that. Uh, they said to me, oh, there's a lot of your, you got a lot of Boston people in Pittsburgh. I didn't mention that you're going to be on the postcast. I don't want, I don't, you know, I don't want to like let people find out. when they You don't want to overwhelm the servers. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, and uh, then I drove back today. It was, yeah. And here I am. Okay, so that was what I did to yesterday, last night, and today. Going to the aisle was was powerful. Um, wasn't I wasn't there long because Ari, who came along, had an had an appointment. I and I had to get to Manhattan. I was going to be another alumni there. But it was it was meaningful. It was powerful. It was it was great. A great connection. So now let's get let's talk let's talk about label here. Label calling our guests. <clears throat> so, label, you you introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself, and then we'll get to what we consider a major accomplishment of yours, amongst many others, many others. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm Label Cohen. Uh, I grew up in the Boston area in a town called Weston, a little town about I don't know twelve miles west of Boston. A uh, very wealthy suburb. Uh, my parents were not religious. Uh, we had some Judaism. I went to Hebrew school. I learned how to read Hebrew. I learned enough to get my bar mitzvah, though no one ever introduced me to tefillin, so I didn't really know what they were. And um, and after the bar mitzvah, like so many Jews, I just uh, 
I, I just abandoned it and uh, went on my way. I went to a prep school in North Andover, uh, uh, highly Protestant uh, prep school with a few Jews. And after that, I went to uh, Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. So, so sorry um, to interrupt real quick. Did that happen to be um, Phillips Andover or no, was it, it was where did you end up going? I went to oh, Brooks. Oh, okay. See, I went to Pingree. Okay. Pingree, isn't that New York? Is that in Massachusetts also? Or is that New York? Yeah, P- Pingree is, uh, is in the same league as Brooks. We played Brooks in many sports. In, it's in um, it, I remember it's Governor in Dummer it's... and Rivers, but I don't remember Pingree. But... I went to Bob Chishiva. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you play? P- P- Pingree is very close to Governor's. Uh, okay, so that was a long, long time ago. I don't remember all the schools in the league. It's a small prep school. Like, well, there, were it, maybe, there were maybe 250 students when I was there. I think it's grown a little bit since then. But uh, there was no... to be no, fair, Pingree was yeah. probably an all-girls school when you went to Brooks, which would be why you oh, wouldn't be... Okay, so I've heard the name, but I didn't know it intimately, and probably I skipped that dance. Yeah, they probably had the school dance, and I probably skipped that. <laughs> um, there, there really, there was... You know, very little Judaism. Uh, there's no Judaism at Brooks, although I do remember at Passover uh, once in the dining hall, they took the, all the Jewish students and they put us on this platform in the front of the room. And we had our Passover dinner in front of all the Goyim. So it was a little strange. I mean, in retrospect, that they did that to us, but I was too young to know any better. So uh, I participated in that event. event. At any rate, it was through a friend of mine at Brooks who went to Yale afterwards that I got introduced to uh, Torah Judaism. He, uh, he went to Israel. He got inspired. He became more religious, and he started to invite me to come over to Yale for a Friday night dinner um, while I was at Wesleyan. And I finally, he nudged me a lot. I don't think I had any interest in doing it. And I finally went and... I was very taken by the wholesome atmosphere that was going on there, the Yale Kosher Kitchen, uh, which I later came to understand was something that the, was probably due to, to the Rebbe's directives in the 60s, uh, where he, he encouraged universities to have kosher dining halls and make events. And, and that was one of those things. All the Jewish students at Yale, whether reform or conservative or, or orthodox, they they prayed in their respective uh, halls, but then they all came together for the same dining experience. So I I was moved by that, and I went to yeshiva um, to a, the introductory uh, yeshiva, uh, more of a from the literature world, the Balchuvi yeshiva in Israel that summer. This is 1985, and <clears throat> when I came back, they tried to talk me into staying in Israel. Uh, but I didn't. I was going to come back and, and make a movie. We'll get to that later. But I was going to make a senior movie at, at Wesleyan. But at the same time, I knew I wanted to become religious or more religious. And I didn't think I could do that so easily staying at Wesleyan because there was no support group over there. So I decided to stay in Boston and work at a little kosher restaurant there called Cafe Shalom. And I was looking for a place where I felt comfortable uh, growing in, in Yiddishkeit. Uh, tried a couple of different congregations in the Boston area, and I was having a little trouble relating to uh, where I was going, finding a place where uh, that I, I thought was a good fit for me. And uh, 
uh, one one day in the fall, it was probably in October, I visited uh, Wesleyan, which is in Connecticut, and uh, spoke to a student who had just gone, uh, had just started there from Hartford. And I said, you know, I'm going back home, but I'm, I need to stop someplace for the Sabbath. And she was from Hartford, so she suggested this Chabad house in, in West Hartford, Connecticut. And I went there for the Sabbath. And little unknown to me, it was actually Shabbos Sukkot. So I, I was so uninformed. I had never heard of Sukkot. And um, so I ended up there at Shabbos Sukkot. So I had a nice time. I went back to Boston, went back to put on my waiter apron, went back into Cafe Shalom. And um, the day later, uh, this beard, young bearded man shows up, two bearded men showed up and and they were inquiring about me and sat down and one of them was Rabbi Posner. So he had gotten the word from the rabbi in Hartford, look out for this guy, Lewis, as I was known at the time, um, my mother still calls me Lewis. Uh, look out for this guy, uh, Lewis. He works as a waiter. And I, that may be the only time that Rabbi Posner ever sat in any type of restaurant because uh, <laughs> I never knew him to go anywhere. So, you know, for that reason alone, I had to uh, I had to come to Chabad House the next weekend for, um, for Shabbos. And uh, I, I felt much more comfortable there. There was a nice group of people, a fun atmosphere, Rabbi Posner was, as he is now, he was very energetic, but even more so then. And um, so I, he was easy to get along with, and uh, the chicken soup was good, and that was all I needed. And you know, I just took off from there. So what happened- Like the Wright brothers. I was like, I didn't really take off. I was kind of like covering the, <laughs> the sand. So was, the rabbi from Hartford did call me, and we had just come to Boston then. So it was like, like, what am I supposed to do? When I do? So I got, I got Bruce Hurst, who lives in Chicago now. We do name drop over here. Um, and I said to him, look, I got to go. I got to meet this guy. I, like, I, didn't, I didn't think I could just walk into there and say, you know, ask for him and just talk to him. So I think we have to do this whole covert operation. We're going to go in there, make believe we just want to eat something, and then we'll find him. And th- that's, uh, that's what happened. <laughs> And it worked. The plan worked perfectly. It was a perfect plan. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, but so after that, um, whenever I was in town, uh, you know, for that fall, um, I, I started going regularly. I went to my first Pagisha, I think, uh, a month or two later. The car broke down along the way. That's something, you know, that that was a regular thing in those days. Car's got to break down. Uh, Rachel, who was Rabbi Posner's oldest, uh, was a baby. She was three months old. So I, I think it's fair to say that I was probably Rabbi Posner's first um, first guy, first um, protege. Isn't that fair, Rabbi? No, yeah. I mean you had Lind in there, but sure. he was from yeah, he, he was from before. He was there before. Yeah. He was there from there before, and and um, and uh, I'm happy to call Rabbi Posner one of one of my best friends. And, he he was in the Sada condition at my wedding and two of my children's wedding and um he's very near and dear to me and okay i yeah i don't know if he, he doesn't want to hear the praise you know, <laughs> everyone knows what rabbi posner is and, well if he doesn't uh, want to hear praises did you know him before he went gray sure yeah. sure yeah yeah we uh so got all kinds of pictures yeah to to to, uh, to h&m which is really what we want to hear about <laughs> 
Okay, I, I took a little too much time there. No, it's fine. All right. So you want to hear about Agent Emmis? Yeah, I don't want you to talk about me. I want you to talk about Agent Emmis. Okay. All right. So, so I was a filmmaker major in college, but that was more like film studies, you know, watching old movies and analyzing the stuff. But I did, I had made a film in high school, at prep school at Brooks, um, and I got the bug for it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, came out well. People liked it. Felt good. It was definitely something I, I had an interest in. And uh, so I majored at Wesleyan, but then uh, being a filmmaker was not something that I thought happened to real people in the real, real world. So at, you know, since I had discovered Yiddishkeit at the end of my college days, I dropped filmmaking. I pursued yeshiva for a few years. And after that, uh, it was time to uh, settle down, uh, start a family. And of course, like any good Jewish boy, go into your father's business if he has one. So that's what I did. I went into my father's overcoat business in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and we continued to live in, in Boston for uh, the next uh, 12, 12 years. Um, but then after a few years, I found that uh, some of uh, my former classmates had hit it really big in Hollywood, had done very, like, exceptionally well. Names everyone will have heard of if, they, if they've watched movies before I had any interest in, in Hollywood films. And I felt like, well, maybe this is really something I should have been doing and uh, I'll never forgive myself if I don't try. So it really took a while to, to figure out a way to integrate my new Jewish worldview with making movies because I, for a long time I couldn't make the two go together in a way that made sense to me. And um, after uh, we, we moved to Pittsburgh in 2002 and I had just made a professional film in Boston with Hollywood talent. It was a short film. It showed at a bunch of film festivals. It was 35 millimeters called Advice and Descent, starring Eli Wallach. Um, Rabbi, can I tell them you had a little cameo in uh, E? I just did. <laughs> he did, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Wait, does uh, this mean that Rabbi has an IMDb page? We put him in IMDb. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a technical advisor. He could be he could be there as an extra, um, <laughs> and, which was which is what he was. He was an extra. It was a, it was a Jewish movie. So I was playing around with the idea or exploring the idea of how do you make positive Jewish movies? Because I decided, OK, I'm from and I'm into movies. And how can I integrate the two? Do something positive for the Jewish world through film, you know, deliver positive messages through film. So this short film was uh, my first foray into that. And it was more for adults than for children. Um, and when I got to Pittsburgh, I wanted to make more, but I didn't know exactly what to do. Um, and, uh, that year, every year, our school, the Yeshiva schools of Pittsburgh does a annual dinner. They usually produce a video of some kind. So right after I got there, they asked me to help with their Yeshiva dinner. And it ended up being a fictional story about the honoree. And it was a fun little story, different than they usually do. And what happened is uh, I started to hear back from parents saying, you know, Chaim, uh, Shlomo, Moshe, you know, Junior, can't stop watching your movie. And I realized, because parents could get a copy of the video, and I realized that these Jewish kids had nothing to watch um, other than uh, Uncle Moshe uh, and uh, Puppet Theater. There really wasn't much entertainment for 
Jewish children in the Orthodox world, especially past the age of like four or five. And um, one morning during davening, when I should have been focusing on Hashem, my mind started to wander and this idea of making a little uh, a video, uh, an action adventure video about a uh, little Jewish spy kid uh, popped into my mind and I wrote a couple of scripts and we were off and running. Um, the the name of the show became Agent MS. Uh, Rabbi Posner, I, I was always consulting with Rabbi Posner, uh, sent him the scripts. I think I sent them to Ruchel too at the time. Um, and he actually had a very important suggestion uh, which benefited the series forever. He, um, the bad guy, because you got to have a bad guy, especially if it's in any film for, you know, adults or children, but especially for kids, Agent Emmis has a nemesis. And his name originally was Dr. Ra'a, you know, like in Austin Powers, it was Dr. Evil. So I thought, okay, we'll call this guy Dr. Ra'a, Dr. Bad. Sent the script to Rabbi Posner. He took a look at it. He says, I don't think you should call him Dr. Ra. We don't want to use negative language. Which I understood from a Gomorrah and Pesach and other places. So I said, okay, so what, what do you think would be better? He says, we'll call him Dr. Lotov. So Dr. Lotov became the, uh, be, became the core villain of the Agent Emma series, at least for the first five uh, videos and he was a great character. The guy who played him was a great act. It was a, was great for the part, and the name was really catchy. And um, I made uh, thirteen of these Agent Emmis episodes with four different kids playing Agent Emmis. The first one was my second son, Shalom Bear, who uh, is now living in Atlanta. He's in his thirties, and my oldest son also had a role. He was the Chacham. And I brought together people that I just really just met in Pittsburgh to be parts in, in the show. Got a couple of professional actors and, and then mixed them together with locals and filmed these two episodes in the summer of 2003 and introduced the series really at the Kines Shluchim that fall. Um, and I would say that I didn't have a budget for advertising at all. And when I set up a table, set up a table. They have a they have a vendor section that when the, when all the Chabad Shluchim get together once a year in the fall, um, most people know about that event. Uh, there's also I, I'm not sure if there still is, but there was always a vendor uh, event where people would sell their menorahs and their artwork and whatever things might be helpful to Shluchim. So I got a table to sell Agent MS. And I had at that point one episode, I think just one had been released and um, no one knew what it was, but, but a couple of Shluchim took a, a chance and brought it home. And that's really how the, the virus started. It, and, and now Agent MS is spread all over the world, like literally. Um, I don't think there's a, you know, a country where there's Jews that, that hasn't seen it, isn't familiar with it. And, even though I have not made an episode for uh, over 10 years, this new generation of kids are still watching it on Tovito, uh, streaming it through my own service, watching old DVDs, and every generation seems to fall in love with it. And um, it's uh, I've got just gotten a lot of good feedback, and I think it's been a, 
very positive phenomenon for the Jewish world. I, th I think the, the what was really important about it is always around the Jewish theme. Like there's always a Jewish message. Like the first one was about was the chauffeur. Yeah. About a chauffeur for Rashana and it dealt with a chauffeur of a car and, and like the whole thing was like the chauffeur isn't kosher. And instead of it mean the chauffeur I mean the chauffeur, whatever the whole big thing, but it had it had it had that that Jewish thing go through it. I think most of the editing of the stuff you sent me actually was the credit goes to my wife, who's you know the excellent, amazing uh, editor, um, educator. So she's sensitive to what kids hear. And but the thing you talk about Lotov and Tov isn't the Gemara Psachim, Lachimol and Aleph, on the base. But but it's something that the Rebbe was very very um, emphatic about, not to use negative language. In fact, when there was a pasuk, like Hashem gave us the choice to pick life. Or death. That's what the Pasuk says. The Rebbe would say to pick life or to pick the opposite. Meticulous about, or not even, to, or to pick life, etc. Wouldn't even end the Pasuk. That, that's how meticulous the Rebbe was. I think that's how, how they rubbed off on us, obviously. Never to use a negative expression. Like the opposite of life, instead of saying death. And, and having that sensitivity. And that's where that came from. And especially when it comes to kids. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, sometime... Like he was cursing the guy out. So he came up with this, call him like, oh, you piece of rotten kugel. You know, something like yes, that. Yes, that was also also your suggestion. Correct. No, that, that, I think that came from Hani. But anyway, then we're going to argue <laughs> about that. It doesn't matter. It came from 491. But that was the point, like to use funny words that, that make no sense, that would make them laugh. But it would, if you say it in the right, you know, say, oh, you're such a rotten potato kugel. Like, oh, it sounds horrible, but it's funny, but it's, you know, you're getting the, the drama is there of him screaming at one guy, one person screaming at the other person, but there isn't that negative, you know, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to break your head and things like that, which, because kids see, hear something and repeat it. And um, I can think of my kids watch these things a gazillion times. And, you know, that's why even in my head, the chauffeur isn't kosher. You know, always remember that. <laughs> so the funny, funny thing about that is, I I had a couple of episodes dubbed into Hebrew. One of them was the first episode, the the chauffeurs and kosher one, and Shalom Bear pointed out, well, you know, that's the one episode that's going to make no sense to Israelis because the, the word for chauffeur in Hebrew is not the same as show, you know, chauffeur. <laughs> um, but the next one, okay, the the episode after that was, if kids don't learn Torah, uh, the world will 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 fall apart. Hashem will destroy the world or the, 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 the world is supported by the Torah learning of Jewish kids. So in this episode, Dr. Lotov kidnaps all the rabbis. It's called Rabbi Nap. And because there's no rabbis, the kids aren't learning Torah. And when the kids stop learning Torah, earthquakes hit Spitzberg, which was the name of, of the, the city where, where it all took place. And I, you know, I just like that idea of visualizing this concept of the world being destroyed because the Jewish kids aren't learning Torah. And uh, of course, the resolution was that even without the rabbis, Jewish kids love learning Torah and, and the world was saved. Uh, but there was a lot of different... Uh, so one of the reasons I think I only made 13 episodes, I ran out of Jewish ideas. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Torah knowledge reached a, a limit and I couldn't figure out any, any more ways to, uh, to turn them into stories. But there's, there's a lot of Hasidists throughout... Um, especially in later episodes. Um, I was actually telling a whole story that was really a sikha of the Rebbe. 
the the what about the about the the donkey and and the three levels of you know taking the donkey and and using the donkey to carry things and riding on the donkey uh, and the three that's Mashiach's donkey in three in three different generations so that's what the whole episode is, is centered around where the bad guy is trying to steal Mashiach's donkey um, and it's it was it was it was fun because I was able to get my kicks as a filmmaker and also, you know, spread a lot of, of entertainment and education. So edutainment for, for Jewish kids. Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, the Rebbe always, this, I mean, it's a classic example of someone getting a secular education and instead of, just discarding it and saying, oh, it's it's Narishkeit and it's not kosher, to be able to find a way to use it in a way that promotes Yiddishkeit. And this, they're just amazing. Um, I mean, the, the quality and the skill and all that that went into them and the entertainment. I, mean, I remember we spoke about this, to make something, because, of course, you, you show something to a bunch of Jews, some everybody's going to have a different opinion. And we spoke a lot about it back then, but people were critical because it was too harsh. And you're thing was if there's no tension there's no the kids are not gonna be interested there's got to be some tension there's got to be you know a, a negative and a positive force that are that are conflicting with each other then you get their attention so the question was like how to what degree mm-hmm. can you build up that tension without it being like damaging to the to the pure minds of these jewish kids and that was a, a, one of the big concerns when you were making them which we discussed a lot to find that find that balance and, and you know and and to the parents who they don't want the kids to have any exposure, anything like that. The answer was, well, don't watch it. You know, we can't. We're not going to make everybody happy. So, you know, be it as it may. You know, hopefully they won't go look for find somewhere else. So, one of the really nice things is that uh, we've seen, you know, evidence over the years. It's been accepted in 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 almost every type of Jewish community. You know, uh, there's Chabad, there's Muncie, there's Lakewood. I mean, all of these places. Um, Certainly in the the Haredi, the broader Haredi market. Now, the modern Orthodox, you know, I never felt like I was going to get a large segment of that population because presumably they were watching, some of those families were more used to watching secular um, material as well. And then the super from who, you know, wouldn't have a TV, don't even have a computer, that would be very hard to get that, but but the mid between those two extremes, it's been accepted, and yeah. uh, that's something I'm I'm very happy about, uh, because all of these things, these concerns that we have, because you are always going to offend somebody, like inevitably people are going to find things to complain about. It's been remarkably resilient, um, yeah. considering that. Okay. So, if any of your listeners are not familiar with Agent Demis, it's still able to catch trailers on YouTube and uh, rent episodes through my website, which is yidflix.net. Yidflix? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe Seth wants to put up a little... Uh, um, graphic of that it's y-i-d-f-l-i-x yidflix kind of like netflix but not um <laughs> and um dot net and then there's another site 
run by Chaim Herzkowitz, which is which is more of a Jewish Netflix. Yes, there is the Netflix. That's right. So you can rent an episode for three days for three bucks, or you can rent all thirteen episodes for a month, for three months, for for twelve months. And uh, there's all kinds of extras. Yeah, we got behind the scenes videos, bloopers. Um, a couple of my other films are now on the on the site. Uh, but Yidflix essentially label Cohen's films. <laughs> um, now, and there's another site called Tobedo, uh, which Chaim Hershkowitz has created. I think it's T-O-V-E-E-D-O. So Tobedo has a, a wider range, you know, broader uh, selection of Jewish videos for kids, all for That's kids. Funny. I just... Um... Chani just mentioned me, I was talking to Chani on the way home, and she mentioned something that one of her students had learned, and um, what was it? It was, oh man, why am I blanking? Oh, if, if a snake wraps itself around your feet during Shmanesra, you're not allowed to move. But if a scorpion does, then you're allowed to move. So my wife said, she asked the kid, like, where'd you learn this from? Tovito. I don't even know, what I, when she said that to me, I'm like, what is that? But anyway, now I know. So, yeah, so that's Tobito. And Agent Emmis is, is also available on T- Tobito. Um, so there's different ways to see it. Yeah, the, the whole marketplace has changed. I used to sell DVDs. But no, it actually, it's interesting because going back to the super from audience, um, it, when I started with Agent Emmis, uh, there was actually a thing to sell these movies on CD-ROM, not even on DVD on CD-ROM. I don't know, Seth, if you're even old enough to remember that technology. Um, I'm, I'm aware but, of it, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, CD-ROM just held much less information than a DVD. Um, and you could, you know, you could you could store files on it. Where, so you create a little movie file and they would sell in stores. Um, so this is for people who don't have DVD players, don't have VHS players. So I started selling it on CD-ROM and VHS tape, and then only started into DVDs, uh, which which were really was the media of choice through most of the time I was making it. But now, the you know, it's all dead. All of that technology is dead. As a matter of fact, the last thing that's really still available in stores is little USB sticks. You know, we've all seen the little USB sticks you could put in your computer. So uh, producers of content are putting their movies on little DVD. And that's how the, some people in the from world will, if they don't have streaming, that's how they'll buy their their uh, film entertainment on on these uh, on these sticks. And those will eventually disappear. We'll all be streaming, and uh, just like in the broader secular world, you know, producers have to figure out how do you make money. Uh, now with with people not going to the theater and people not buying VHS or, or DVD, how do you do it? So it's some kind of streaming, um, uh, some type of streaming strategy, uh, but it's much more difficult. So, so good luck to the next person who tries it. Yeah, <laughs> it's even when I could sell DVDs, it didn't make that much money. So now I think. I think people say, how come people don't more? I said, because nobody was, was as stupid as me to try. Um, but I was glad that I, I did. And, yeah, and... Baruch Hashem, it, it's definitely, I, I mean, I don't know if I know who's listening or what, but for, for, if you need entertainment for your kids, 
which everybody's getting, you know, instead of having these, these make-believe characters that are talking Narishkeit, it's totally Torah-centered, Torah themes, it's, and it holds the kids' attention. It's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. Baruch Hashem. It's one more step in bringing Mashiach. Because yep, yep. that's where we're at. And that brings us, bring it up, so bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Oh, 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 yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to remember this. I wasn't sure if this was making it in or not. Yeah, it is. See, I, I pulled it in. There we are. This, this, this one, this, uh, pack, this picture of, of the soldier was sent to us by um, Rivka, Julia, who, mm-hmm. who did a fundraiser for, she, she was doing a fundraiser for her son's unit who was going into Gaza. And uh, I think they pretty much raised the money they needed. And so she sent me this and said, my son Noam is going back into Gaza. with the, and, and this, I guess, this. I'm not sure how, how this Mashiach patch got onto soldiers' uh, uniforms. I don't know if it's a Chabad conspiracy. <laughs> I know that's how the Hanukkah menorahs got into Gaza. Um, but this doesn't have any Chabad thing in it. But I, well, because to very, me it looks like... You know, if you're having a war of, of good against evil, and, you know... Yeah, this is Mashiach, bringing Mashiach energy, getting rid of, rid of the evil, and making the world, you know, that much more prepared for Mashiach. So this is perfect. This is wonderful. So these are pretty widespread now in the soldiers' uniforms. I mean, I got one from her, and Seth got some. I found someone's. I had seen one on uh, on Twitter that someone had posted. That that's what happened. I had seen that and sent it to Rabbi Posner and jokingly said for the Posecast, and then he forwarded me this. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, I think, I think it's wonderful. I think, I think, yeah. I think that um, this idea, just if you, if you break it down, everything a person does, everything a Jew does in a positive way is to bring Mashiach. And if these soldiers are going there and wearing tzitzis and wearing tefillin and wearing a Mashiach patch, that's perfect. That's wonderful. That's good. We should we should be engaged in this battle. Hopefully, and I don't, and I don't have to like actually kill other people. Just kill the negative forces within each one of us. The Doctor Lotov. Yeah, there's yeah. one one other point I want to bring. A lot of people have said to me um, who suggested ways to make Asian M is wider spread, more popular, sell more. In other words, we'll make something that will entertain non-Jews too, and everybody can watch it. You know, Jewish people can enjoy it and, and the non-Jewish world can enjoy it too. And, you know, I could never figure out a way to make the world two worlds meet. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of months, we are truly a nation that dwells alone. And yeah, there's just complete two completely different approaches to, to life mindsets yeah uh so there is no like real bridging of understanding in in that sense no it's fascinating that you say that because i think adults college students are are also getting that message just by fact of what the, what's going on amongst their peers that they are alone alone can mean you know above as well you know unique and, and to find it and to translate that, I was talking to this guy to the alumni I was, I was met in Manhattan, you know, in his, in his work and his colleagues, he sees to some degree this whole, the same thing happening. And he talks about Shabbat dinners in Manhattan. People he never dreamt with the organized, they're organizing Shabbat dinners. And that's just to bring Jews together because we, we have this commonality that otherwise, yeah, what's the big deal? Jew, non-Jew. 
we had a couple of students, Hani had a couple of students over on Hanukkah, with, having a little fabring with them, and I came down and said, you know, explain to them, and the girl had a question, why she can't marry someone who's not Jewish? And it's almost something, you know, all the arguments, all the discussion, it's something you just know that and that, that the Jews are unique. They're, they're part of the human race, for sure, and we get along with all the, all the we can get along with other people, but there's something inside of you that knows where there's something different. That we have more of responsibility, we have a different mission in life, and yeah, and that's and that and you're right. There's no way you could you, if you did it any other way, you would take you would pull all the neshama out of it. What would you have left? Yeah. It wouldn't. Be, it would be useless. Right. Be empty and empty. You know. So that that was uh, definitely a good thing. So Friday is a fast day, which is very unique. There's no other no other fast day during the year that comes out on Friday. But this this that comes out on Friday. Asar Batavius, when the siege was was made uh, around Yerushalayim before the destruction of Beis Hamikdash, and the language another uses Samach Melech Bavel on Yerushalayim, first Beis Hamikdash. Samach, Samach means to to come near, to close, to come close. But Samach always Samach Leifim Reifachelim in 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 Davin we say Samach Leifim means to support. So, and the Rebbe said had this idea that when you lay siege around the city, you're actually supporting the city. You're, you're fortifying the walls. No one can get out. No one can go in. So the people that are inside are really stuck inside. And it was Cedrus later at, was, was put around Yushalayim. So Jews being stuck in Yushalayim, that's pretty cool. If they take the idea to, 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 to heart. We're in Yushalayim. Yushalayim means Yerei Shalim. Complete recognition, respect, awe, fear of Hashem. And so the Rebbe said that this fast day can happen on a Friday... Because it, it's, this is the turning point. When it first starts and you say, wait, we're in trouble. We've got to change our behavior. And you turn it around. You avoid the whole tragedy that came afterwards. Sadly, we, we, missed, this, we missed that signal then. But that's the, that's the message to us today. If you have something that can be fixed, just fix it. Don't wait till it gets to the point that it's <laughs> beyond your control. So that, And I think the message is also like, Every little deed that you do has the ability to change the reality that's happening in the world now. Every mitzvah that you do. And that's what I said to this guy. I said to him, you know, put your tefillin on. Get, you connect your Yiddish card. You have a pair of tefillin, like whatever he bought it. Um, and so I use them more regularly. And that's how, you, that's how you, you exist amongst people that you know are different than you, but you don't feeling any lack of, of connection. You have a bigger, a greater connection, a more powerful connection. That's our Yiddishkeit. And Hashem should help that these days of fasting we transform to days of rejoicing with the coming of Mashiach. Amen. Amen. And thank that, you, Rabbi, and th thank you, Seth, for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Lars, for coming. Thank you so much for listening to episode 35 of the podcast, Rabbi Shmuel Posner. We will see you next week.